Welcome to The Get Together. It's a show about the nuts and bolts of community building, and I am your host, Bailey Richardson. I'm a community researcher at People & Company. What's up, Bailey? What's up, Kevy Kev? I'm Kevin Huynh. Uh, I'm another partner at People & Company. Each episode, Kevin and I interview people who have built communities about just how they did it. We're going to ask them great questions, in my opinion. Really great questions. We'll see. God. <laughs> uh, we're going to ask them... You know, how did you get the first people to show up? How did you grow to thousands more members? Today, we're talking to Tim Williams, who is the structure wonk behind the glory that is the World Aeropress Championship. Bow, bow, bow. Da, da, da. We grew to 140 events with only having one employee. And the only way we managed to do that was by being super decentralized and putting 98% of responsibility with whoever was hosting that event. And, you know, there's pros and cons to that. Like, we wouldn't have 3,500 competitors if I had to go around and personally organize every single thing that took place. What we do instead is give a framework, put a lot of faith in a host that they get it and that they're going to do a good job of it. The WAC started with very humble beginnings. Three people and one judge, plus I heard there was a cake, gathered in a room in Oslo to see who could make the best cup of coffee with an AeroPress. Cake is overrated. What? Coffee's overrated? Cake, cake is overrated. Okay. Kevin also doesn't drink coffee, so. I don't drink coffee. Don't tell Tim. I didn't, I didn't <laughs> I get into that. I um, And Tim helped grow this small event to something much, much bigger. Last year, hundreds of national competitions were held across the globe. Of the 3,000-something total competitors at those local competitions, a select group of champions emerged. And then all of those global champions descended on Sydney last month to duke it out for the world title. This year, the winner was Carolina Ibarra-Garre of Los Angeles. Carolina, if you're listening, congratulations, and I hope I said your name right. So today's episode was really special to me as Kevin's business partner slash best friend because Tim really reminded me a lot of you, Kevin. Um, world Aeropress Championship sounds in structure a lot like Creative Mornings to me. Mm-hmm. And Tim honestly reminded me a little bit of you. So I'm wondering, old Kevo, what stood out to you about Tim and World Aeropress? I mean, once he said the word structure, the drool it was sort formed. of like music to my ears. <laughs> the sky, the skies parted, electricity mm. filled the room, even though it was a Zoom call. <laughs> um yeah, just in general, I think I found a kindred spirit in Tim and how mm. he described seeing potential in world and kind of the World Aero Press Championship and just seeing, you know, how if infused with some structure. And when we say structure, I'm thinking like processes and, and figuring out sort of, you know, how things can really work and the right resources and tools and sort of, you know, really just the operation of the thing and adding a bit more structure to something can really help it flourish. Mm-hmm. And especially a community like the folks that attend and compete in World Aeropress Championship, I think there's this balance that one strikes where you provide enough structure to make people feel safe, to make people feel like they're here for the right reasons, to make people feel like, you know, they have the right sandbox that they can play in. And then you let them like do their thing and you learn from them. And to hear the story of their growth and how it shifted and evolved and Tim's kind of role in that and how he cares about his work. I thought that was super cool. Yeah, absolutely. I think very much like you, Tim, is a humble steward of this community, you know, just kind of helping behind the scenes quietly 
this thing that he believes in grow and grow and grow um, with kind of a process mindset. So yeah, yeah, I'm super excited. I think one of my not so secrets is to collect the Tims of the world or the people trying to, you know, infuse a bit of structure into grassrootsy things. Every time I see one, whether it's in the world of coffee, the creative world, the teacher world, the Mm. female leadership world. Like, I just think there's something so special there. And I love seeing people put those building blocks in place. Yeah. So if you're listening, if you're listening and you have something decentralized and you are wondering, hey, what is my structure to help make this happen? You should call or you're doing something amazing. I want to learn from you. So yeah. Yeah. Holla. Okay. All right, let's dig in. You ready to hear from Tim Williams, everyone? Yay! Today, I've read that the World Aeropress Championship is the largest coffee competition on the planet. You can fact check me on that. It's this last year, you guys had more than 140 national competitions and 3,000 something competitors. Is that right? Yeah, we haven't got the final numbers in on competitors, but we think it is likely to be about three and a half thousand. Wow. Wow. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. something um, like 61 countries are having their own Aeropress National Championship. Yeah, we have 61 nationals. So that's uh, 61 individual countries or states that part. I see. And then in a whole bunch of those countries, we have regional championships as well, which are kind of feed events or qualifiers that get people from the local level to the national level. So you guys are basically the coffee Olympics is what <laughs> kind of I mean kind of there is a, there's like a very official coffee championship circuit that is you know the world barista championship and the world latte yeah. out coffee and good spirits championship and yeah all these things and they're you know very well established been going kind of 20 years and they're very serious and expensive and the rules book is like 30 pages on like how you can brew a cup of drip coffee and we're the antithesis of that so you know we have eight rules it's (laughs) fast paced it's super affordable to take part in and that's really what we found to be a formula that speaks to the average people who love coffee as opposed to people who are sort of let's say competing for the opportunity to pick up a lucrative trade show Mm. contract or you know move straight into consultancy at 21 or whatever so we're definitely much more about community and bringing people together and having a good time and you know the competition is almost the excuse Mm. for doing that i uh read and i'm about to cuss Someone said that the World Aeropress Championship, here we go, is a kind of freewheeling fuck off to all the too serious world of coffee competitions. It's independent and it doesn't suck. I want to ask you about the very first one because I know that it was three people in a room in Oslo. I know that one of them was Tim Wendelbow, which I know enough about coffee to know that he is a big deal in the coffee community. And there was like a cake and three people competing and him testing it. And then that is what bore, like sort of created all these other things, the seed. Was it like that? Was the attitude in the beginning refreshingly different? Or, you know, what was it about the early competition that made it something that so many other people wanted to take part in? To begin with, I think you described it perfectly. You know, I don't think you undersold it at all there. That was literally how it was. The Aeropress as a brewing device had just been invented and released on the market and it was vastly different from any other method of brewing coffee and no one really knew how to use it. Can you describe it really quickly for anyone listening? The brewer itself, it's a three-piece polypropylene tube 
basically, yeah. with a filter attachment on the end and a chamber, a piston piece, and mm. essentially uh, mix coffee and water together and then push it with the piston through a filter. So it produces a cup of, you know, what we would call in Australia filter coffee or drip coffee or brewed coffee. It's not an espresso maker as, you know, the packaging used to claim or maybe still claims. It's a very affordable, simple, versatile way to brew one cup of really high quality filter coffee. Yeah, because I know this isn't true for filtered coffee, but a really nice espresso machine in a nice store can cost you like $100,000, right? Like what someone's competing with on a barista championship. You're uh, exaggerating. Okay, good. Thank God. I'm I'm clearly, (laughs) clearly love the hype here on the (laughs) Yeah. $10 million. Ten million dollars. I think it's one of those things where every time it's quoted, you know, an extra couple of grand gets put on it. Like remember Blue Bottle back in San Francisco when they launched, and they had this uh, siphon bar yes, with halogen yeah. lamps and all that kind of thing. And every time that story is retold, it goes up in value by about eight hundred and fifty dollars <laughs> to the point where it's like it started at ten thousand, now it's a thirty thousand dollar rig. But but the, the AeroPress is thirty five bucks. Yeah, and it, it does an incredibly good job. A lot of people swear by it as their absolute brewer of choice. I still have the first edition, you know, mm. that was made. It's uh, you know made more than ten years ago, and it's still the one that I use to wow. brew coffee in the morning. So it's also fairly indestructible. Yeah. So take me back to that first one. I, I interrupted you. You were just about to say that the AeroPress had just come out, and you were going to, I think, talk about the inventor a little bit. Yeah. So the way the AeroPress actually came about was the inventor is is a guy named Alan Nadler, who I don't know if you remember the Aerobi flying ring. It was a don't call it a frisbee. Alan gets very upset. <laughs> But it's a ring, you know, a sports toy, and you could throw it a really long way. And Alan's For days. Yeah, it was crazy, right? It went like 1,300 feet, which I don't know exactly what that is in meters, but I think I'm pretty sure that's a very long way. He was an, an inventor and an aerodynamicist, and he would also, I think, lecture at Stanford. And he had this company making sports toys that were sort of generally things that you threw. And he also really liked to have one cup of coffee after dinner. And he had a Mr. Coffee or you know a similar kind of drip machine at home, and it was designed to brew four cups of coffee. When he tried to brew one cup of coffee with it, the results were not good, you know? there wasn't enough depth in the coffee bed and all this kind of thing. And so that really frustrated him. He didn't like to waste that extra coffee. So he set about making a one cup brewer. After many iterations involving bicycle pumps and weird contraptions and that kind of thing, what he came up with was essentially the AeroPress that we have today, which is a very simple way to mix coffee and water, push it through a filter, and it just does it spectacularly well. No one had really combined it like that before. So we get to 2006 and seven, and Brewer is released on the market. It comes with Alan's instructions on how he uses it, but a lot of people didn't really like that recipe or the results of that recipe generated. So the two founders of the championship were also the distributors of the AeroPress in Norway. And they thought, well, rather than us spend a whole couple of months trying to work out how to really brew well with this thing, we'll like crowdsource the idea. We'll make it a little competition and we'll see what recipes people come up with. I mean, they only crowdsourced it from three people. So I was going to exactly say, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that wasn't exactly what you'd call like, They knew uh, it would grow. To two's such not a, a crowd. Three, though. That's a crowd. Three. Yeah. <laughs> and so the original competitors, so the, there were two people named Tim uh, that started the championship. I'm not one of those Tims. Yeah, we have, just for the audience, there are three Tims, which is 
Amazing. Yeah. There's now a fourth involved, actually. Wow. Which, uh, he's helping us out on some stuff every now and then. But it was, do you know what? In those early days, there was never any intention that it would become what it is now. This was not a decade-long vision being realized or anything along those lines. It was literally, this will be a little bit of fun. This will be a little bit interesting. It was very much extended to the people on Tim Varney's speed dial. And that was who came along. But it was one of those ideas that seemed fun and seemed easy to do and brought people together and so friends in other countries started asking permission if they could also run their version of the championship. How did that bridge get built? So for instance I think with the first Creative Mornings Tina who hosted it has a popular blog and popular Twitter account and I would imagine she took a photo or shared that she was doing it with that audience of people who happened to have an overlapping interest with her and a few people then sort of raised their hands. Yeah how did those people in other countries kind of understand what was going on? Was it just Tim had spammed everyone that he was doing it with an email or was there a photo or like a video documentation? There there was nothing as calculated is not the right word, but there was nothing as intentional as that. There was no deliberate effort to say, how do we grow this? How do we get more interest? Like I wasn't there at the first one, but my understanding is that it's just a symptom of it being 2008. You post whatever you're doing on Twitter and that would have picked up interest and other people would have noticed that. Or actually at that point, it was probably even just people had their own blogs and whatever you did, you posted something to a blog. So it would have picked up some interest or some awareness like that. But there was no outreach program to say, how do we get seven Nordic nations? taking part in this or no (laughs) deliberate plan to make it grow. It was completely organic, completely natural. And so can you tell me about year two? What year one, it's only in Oslo. There are a few. Do you have any idea how many people raise their hand to host one sort of the second year? Yeah. So what was the inflection point? How did it really gain steam now to have 61 different national competitions? At what point did it get much more formalized and serious doing that? Yeah. So it started, I think year one was just in Norway and just the three people and a few spectators. And then they said, we'll do it again the next year. And again, that was just in Oslo. And maybe a few more people came along to watch. From there, I think it was maybe Belgium. Uh, I'd have to go back and fact check all this with another Tim. But Belgium and maybe a couple of neighbouring countries. And it was really the personal friends of Tim Varney. It was not complete strangers getting in touch uh, having heard about it. It was people that Tim would have a drink with or know or see at a trade show or some kind of event and they would say, well, maybe we can do something similar. Mm-hmm. Um, what motivated them, do you think? Was it, you know, it sounds like the original motivation was, oh, we can get more ways to crowdsource good uses of AeroPress for people who are distributors of it. Yeah, what motivated those other people to be like, yeah, okay, I'll put one on? I think that a big motivation is community. And that's a big thing in coffee, certainly bringing people together and experimenting to find better ways to brew or better coffees or even just showcase coffees that you're really proud of or a recipe that you're really proud of. And so- Kind of have to have people to taste almost too, right? Because you're like, I made this, I can taste it, I have an opinion, but I may need someone else to taste this to tell me if I'm full of shit or not. Yeah, I think that's that's an element. That's probably a bigger element now um, Mm. where people are really looking to prove a point with it. But early on, it was fun and informal. And 
if you were aware of the World Barista Championship and how much work that was and how expensive that was and you had to wear your white cotton gloves to touch your glassware that came in a like a pelican case with the foam inserts and you know you were like you had your music and your script mm-hmm. down to a T and you brought your coach and your entourage and there's we a documentary the about this I've seen it what's it or there's probably a few but I remember watching it on a United Airlines flight and I was like damn this is serious yeah there's one about the Australian guy uh, I think it's called Coffee Man there's one called Chasing Flavor which is about British champion at one point and you know there, it's not that there's not value in that it's just a very particular type of value and what the Aeropress champion was a lot more casual, a lot more informal and enjoyable and over a lot quicker. You know, it didn't take four days um, to find a winner. How do you guys bring that to life, that casual side of it? Because it seems like that's the magic is it's an alternative to the intensity of the coffee industry. So how, as you've gotten bigger and bigger, how have you made sure that that playfulness and the kind of the fuck off (laughs) cussing again approach uh, stays with you guys, stays with all the new national groups that open up? Yeah, there's two major kind of elements in an answer to that question. And the first one is that we've actually had to be really conscious of forcing that informality on people because, you know, we, for so long, this was like, a side project and it just sort of happened and there wasn't much money in it and all that kind of thing. And so if somebody had a complaint or was, you know, felt that their judges weren't judging fairly or whatever, we'd say, well, you know what, it's just a try, you know, loosen up. It doesn't really matter that much. Like try and mm. try and relax and try and have a good time. And we really like pushed that agenda and bigger it got, the more we realized that, you know, people were traveling all the way around the world. Mm-hmm. We have people showing up at competitions with like quarter sleeve tattoos of 2017 Aeropress Championship <laughs> with the great uh, big, you know, yes. and they like made the heavyweight championship belt. You're like, how much did you pay? You bought that for yeah. yourself? Yeah, on their belly, of course. You gotta, you gotta get where you would wear it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know, we see these things, and like in 2017, there were multiple, not just Aeropress tattoos, they were Aeropress Championship tattoos. And that then started to make us think like we want it to be fun and we want it to be engaging. We don't want it to go down the road of being way too stuffy or complicated or serious, but we do also need to meet people kind of halfway on where they see the value. And they do think that it's, they do take it seriously. Like we have a level of responsibility to Mm -hmm. give the competitive element of it, the respect that it deserves. So that's one element of that. We've had to walk a really fine line between keeping yeah. it fun and informal, but also treating it with, I guess. Kind of listening to the community and the fact you do actually have people that have tattoos <laughs> and this has evolved. Like, you guess Aeropress and the community has grown up with you in some ways, right? Yeah. Massively, that's right. And then the other aspect of the answer to that question is that we also now, you know, our approach for the first however many years was very top down and saying, well, this is the championship, this is the format, this is what's important, and then apply it to the entire world. And the more we go on, the more I'm sort of realizing how much we need to be conscious of cultural differences, of what matters to someone in Kenya is very different to what matters to someone in Mm -hmm. China. And off the back of an hour and a half phone call last night, what matters to someone in Shanghai is very different to what matters to someone in Beijing. Mm. So we have to now start to kind of look at everything with a lot more, more of a granular 
level and say, it's fine for us to get a bunch of people together in Sydney. We buy two and a half thousand beers. We put on a barbecue and we say, this is going to be a good time. And it works because it's in context. Now, if we take those exact same items and put that in the middle of Shanghai and say, this is what you're going to enjoy because this is what's fun and this is what's valuable. We can't then be surprised if people stand around at an event in Shanghai and it doesn't resonate mm -hmm. in the same way because competitors in China are not all looking for the same thing out of the competition that competitors in Sydney are looking for. Yeah, Competitors in China are looking for career progression opportunities and hmm. some kind of validation and something that they can actually take to an employer and say, I placed 13th in the Chinese Aeropress Championship. This demonstrates my skills to this particular level. And no one in Australia is trying to leverage their boss because they, <laughs> interesting. Yeah, because they plunged well. So, <laughs> Do you feel like some of that is based on the organizer? I mean, this is one thing I saw with kind of the early days at Creative Mornings was not only were there cultural differences that made like Sydney's event feel different than Lima's event, feel different than Johannesburg's event, but also it's like the person that kind of raised their hand or that small team that organized, they really left their mark. And, so, and you know, the first people that they bring in to attend their speed dial. And, you know, one area might be a bit more formal because that host approaches a bit more formally. One might feel a little bit more like a party or happen in a circus tent or feel like a game show because that guy in Atlanta, he runs his life kind of like that. Did you feel like that had an effect? Like really these people that raised their hands, they left an imprint on the championship? Hugely, yeah. We grew to 140 events with only having one employee. And the only way we managed to do that was by being super decentralized and putting 98% of responsibility with whoever was hosting that event. And, you know, there's pros and cons to that. Like we wouldn't have three and a half thousand competitors if I had to go around and personally organize every single thing that took place. What we do instead is give a framework, put a lot of faith in a host that they get it and that they're going to do a good job of it. We're also looking for hosts to leave some of that imprint because that's the local flavor, you know? That's what we think kind of helps bridge the centralized idea or this top-down idea and make it relevant in the community that it's being transplanted to. So, you know, if you go to the championship in Dubai or the championship in Barcelona or championship in Melbourne, the core of it should be the same and the ideals and the core values should be the same. But we're really kind of relying on those hosts to interpret that and put the social element around that in a way that makes sense for that community. And we've had that be disastrous before and we've had that be brilliant and we've had everything in between. And, yeah. uh, but, you but know, net, where it's net positive <laughs> every year, we end up with more countries and more people taking place, sorry, taking parts. So yeah, overall net positive, but it really sucks when after a championship, you get the email or the Instagram direct message from someone saying, so I took part in the championship in, I won't say a name because that country will think I'm talking about them specifically, but um, I took part in, the, in my local championship and it sucked because X, Y, and Z. I will give one example where uh, we had a complaint from someone in Greece who thought that it was inappropriate that the judges were actually smoking while they were judging and um, I have to agree that that's probably not ideal but we never wrote into the rules that judges weren't allowed to smoke because we just didn't figure that that would ever come up. That's how you get the 30-page handbook is <laughs> yeah. right yeah 
I think for us, that's how you get a new host and move on to someone else. But then there are examples of where that has worked out really well for us. And, and Spain is probably the best example of that, where we used to have a pretty small event there and it just took place in one city and had 25 competitors or something like that. It was like good for what is not a huge country around specialty coffee. And the champion from I think it was 2015, he got in touch with us after the event to say, I love the Aeropress Championship and I was so excited to be involved. I was totally stoked that I won, but it was this huge anticlimax. I won, it was over. Someone said, your trophies are over there, go and grab it. There was no formal announcement. And he came to us and said, like, I can do this better if you give me the chance. And we didn't have very much to lose. So we said, great, it's all yours do with it what he will. So he sort of appointed himself national coordinator of Spain. He's now built this program and this network that means that we have 17 regional championships. So we're in every independent region within Spain. So like, you know, the equivalent of having a championship in every state in the US, there's a different roaster who is an up and coming specialty roaster in each of those 17 places that gets represented. And they are selected in this whole uh, jury system that he's developed and now we have this like competition network in Spain that covers the entire nation that showcases roasters you know, from outside Madrid and outside Barcelona, from regional mm. uh, settings. And, you know, we end up with hundreds of competitors and it's media rich and it's a formula and a format that we can then take to other countries and say, this mm. is how you should do it. So, you know, what started as like a crowdsource a recipe from three people to mm. let's crowdsource how we build communities and take those ideas and actually spread those globally. So yeah, the, awesome. it's bizarre. It's definitely like something that, you know, when my kids, you, you know, there's that point when kids go to school and it's like, what does your dad do? What does your mum and dad do? And it's hard to explain what this is and how it's a job, especially. Maybe that's a sign it's a good job. <laughs> I want to ask if I could take just two more two more minutes. I actually wanted to ask you something on this theme, which is that what brought you to World Aeropress Championship and why do you stay? What do you love about it? Yeah, that's a great question. So, yeah, so I'm the third Tim and <laughs> Barney. I'm the first cabin of people in company. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Tim, Varney and I became friends a little over 10 years ago and and I was kind of aware of this competition thing that he did, but I wasn't that interested in it. I got judged at one and my company in London hosted an event at one stage as well. And, you know, it was like kind of like fun and interesting, but I went to an event and I sort of looked at it and I saw a lot of potential in it. There are probably only 20 countries involved at that stage, if that. What did the potential look like? How did that show itself to you? The potential looked like what we just did in Sydney four weeks ago where we brought dozens and dozens of national champions and their friends together, where we brought in a local coffee community to take part in a celebration of getting people involved around a competition at the centre, but really about it being an inclusive, getting to know each other, it being a, a real point of connection for people. And, you know, Tim would come and stay with us in London and kind of complain about the championship and, oh, it's, you know, starting to be way too much work and it's taking too much time. And at that point, there was no sponsorship involved. There was the manufacturer would support a little bit, really in very, very small terms financially. And so I, I could just see a lot of opportunity to give some more structure to it to, to I guess, you know, speak to the stakeholders and help realize the value for everyone a bit more because people were all getting together, but there was no organization to it. 
And so whatever value people wanted to take out of it, they really had to go in, grab for themselves and run away with. And that's whether they were a coffee company wanting some exposure or a competitor wanting some validation or a spectator wanting a free beer, whatever it was, there just wasn't that centralized structure to it that made it possible for that value to be realized. So yeah, so I kind of could see the potential in it. And so at that point, pretty much ready to close it down or just whatever happens from now is up to everyone. You know, I said to him that I see a lot of value in it, see a lot of potential in it. If he wants to continue from that point, start to grow it and make it more substantial and get 50 countries involved, 60 countries involved, make it a much, much bigger thing that I'd be willing to come on board and work towards that. And yeah, so that was, I guess, about probably about five years ago now. And yeah, and I think the event that we did in Sydney in November was probably the first real realization of that vision from five years ago. We used to run alongside the really stuffy boring event. There was like a huge trade show around the world. We would just like hijack that a bit and be on the Thursday night before that. It's like a fringe art fair at a big art fair. Just like we're hovering by you. Yeah. Yeah, completely. And then often our event would be held at a trade show or at someone's cafe or that kind of thing. And I really saw it as having standalone potential. You know, I really saw the community as being bigger than people who were already converted to specialty coffee, who were already coming to a trade show, who already worked for a coffee company. Yeah. But to, I thought it had appeal for normal people as well. People just really like a cup of coffee. So the first step was to bring the event out of the trade show circuit into its own standalone venues. So we did that for the first time in Seattle, I think in 2015, I want to say. So even these national championships were hovering near the World Barista Championship, and then you started pulling them apart from that. The nationals, it just varies country by country. Yeah, some of them run alongside, some of them are completely separate. Um, So you're saying the big championship was in Seattle. Okay, I understand. Yeah. The world championship event. And then we needed to break away from actually running alongside the trade show event. And so Sydney was the first time where we did that. There was no other big coffee event in Sydney that weekend. There was nothing that we were pegged to. It was completely standalone on the other side of the world from pretty much everyone. And we were nervous at that point that we had this formula and this association that worked and that brought us countries involved and spectators on the day. And so we said, look, if we get 25 countries and 200 people show up, it'll suck a little bit. But if we can get over that threshold, then we can take, you know, two, three years to build it up again in this new format. We had no drop-off in countries at all. We still had 61 countries take part and we had we sold out of spectator tickets on the day with like 800 people at the right. event and huge social Woo-hoo. media. Congrats. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, so it was a real, you know, realisation of kind of about five years' work to get it to that point and to have that idea sort of validated. Mm. So, so that's part of why I got involved because... That's something that I find interesting is not only just like general problem solving and how do you build things out of nothing, but yeah, there was an opportunity, I think, to do something different. I personally not like go with the flow, you know, middle of the road sort of approach. It's just never interested me too much, like kind of following the pack. So this seemed like a cool and interesting thing to work on that would have lots and lots of problem Mm -hmm. solving involved. Um, It would give us the opportunity to travel 
as well, which now is probably more of a challenge than a, than a real benefit. But uh, that's what I saw in it and what I continue to see in it. Yeah, every year there's more challenges and more kind of things to solve. So that's what keeps me involved. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. I'm really glad I asked you that last question. And I think you and Kevin need to go on a blind date personally, because I'm pretty <laughs> sure you guys have lived the same life or like a very similar mindset as Did well. You say the word so. structure? I love structure. Yeah, Kevin is like, ah. <laughs> Indeed, absolutely. Thank you so much. See ya. All the best. Bye. Bye. Thanks, Tim. Tim, we love you. Thank, Thank you, you for your time. It was morning. He took his kids to school in Melbourne. It's nighttime. It's dark out here in New York. Is it pronounced Melbourne? Melbourne. Or, I don't to, know. <laughs> do, you, do you know what Australia is in Vietnamese? No, I don't. Oak. Oak. It's just oak. Oak. Wow. It's, it looks like you see with a uh, an accent mark that goes up. Man, oak. they should change their name. Oak. That's really cool. Yeah, Italy is uh, E. It's just a like no a Y way. looking letter. Wow. Yeah. What's America? Uh, me. Oh, okay. Or kind of cool. me. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah, but it's like M-Y. Anyways. Cool. They got it down. All right. One syllable. I'm into that. <laughs> um, Thank if, you, Tim. Thanks, Tim. <laughs> if, if y'all want to get involved with World Aeropress Championship, I can help. I have a link for you. Yes. Maybe if you want to bring it to your part of the world, you can visit worldaeropresschampionship.com. No spaces. Worldaeropresschampionship.com. You can also check out some pics from the recent World Championship in Sydney by scoping out their Instagram. Their handle is at aero.press. At aero.press. Aero.press. Aero. Yeah, you can find out more about us, people and company, um, at our website, peopleand.company. It's not a .com, it's a .company. Uh, we are uh, writing a book, which is super exciting. It's a, no, it's, a, it's, it's a concise synthesis of what we've learned from conversations like this. It's about um, how to build a community, how to work with a community to build a community. Um, and you can sign up to get notified about that on our website, peopleand.company. Maybe you're listening to this far into the future and this book is already out and you should go buy it on Amazon. Yeah. But it's not yet. I hope so. Um, Please God. Cool. So, yeah, so you can also say hi to us. Send us an email at hi at peopleand.company. If you have nice things to say, even not nice things to say, that's okay. Yeah, I'll give you Kevin's email if you have not nice things to say. I'm sensitive. <laughs> you can call me at three. <laughs> um, and la- last thing, uh, yeah, if you like this, uh, write a review uh, on the in the podcast. Let or, me say wherever, that again. Whatever podcast. It makes a big difference. <laughs> please review us in the podcast store. If you're a friend of ours and you're listening, please Now's review us in the podcast Now's store. The time. Yes. No, it actually does. I think make a very big it difference does, does make a from difference. what we've read on the internet. Yeah. So that'd be great. Also, another thing that helps is subscribing. So if you really like us, which is so flattering, please review and subscribe. We will appreciate it. Yes, shameless asks. Mom, dad, mom. Mom, (laughs) I expect you to subscribe. Cool. That's it. Later. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.